The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached at a special service of dedication on the afternoon of February 19th, 2023, on the basis of 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 through 18. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. So evidently, it was not very far from here at all. Somewhere near the spot where State Highway 78 intersects with U.S. Highway 151. In other words, somewhere not far outside those windows to your right. That was the location of the very first post office that served Blue Mounds Township in the early days of the settlement. But over time, as that settlement began to grow, it was decided that a second post office was needed, one that would be a little bit more convenient for people who live farther to the east. And so in 1861, the very first year of the Civil War, that second post office was set up in the home of a man named George Wright. And in exchange for this public service that he was providing, George Wright was given the privilege of naming the post office. And because his land sat up just a little bit higher from the rest of the, the countryside surrounding him, and because George Wright knew his Bible very well, he decided to name the post office Mount Horeb. And that is where our village got its name. A name that is still quite unique to our village. Not only were we the first, but we are still the one and only Mount Horeb in the entire United States. Kind of a nice story. Except for one very inconvenient detail. That early postmaster named George Wright was an Englishman. Something that the proud, troll-loving Norwegians of Mount Horeb would probably love to change if they could. There are a lot of important things that happened on this place in the Bible known as Mount Horeb. And you kind of have to know especially about one of them if you're going to make any sense of what Paul is saying in these verses from 2 Corinthians. When Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he took them out into the wilderness, and eventually they ended up at Mount Horeb. There God met with them in order to reveal to them his law. He wanted them to know that he was a holy God who expected to have holy people. And he wanted them to know what would happen if they were not. And when God revealed the law to his people on Mount Horeb, he wanted his presence among them to be obvious. And so there was this massive, thick cloud that settled on top of the mountain. There was fire and smoke. There was lightning and thunder. The loud blaring of trumpets. The Bible tells us that the entire mountain shook. And so in a certain sense, you could say, in fact, Paul says that it was a glorious thing. There were just two important problems. One, the law that God revealed at Mount Horeb could only bring condemnation and death to God's people. Sure, they paid a lot of good lip service every time they heard God's law about how much they wanted to do everything that God was telling them, but never once were they able to live up to its demands. Second, and very much related, when God revealed his law 
on Mount Horeb in this very obvious way, it scared the people to death. No one wanted to go anywhere near that mountain. In fact, Moses went up on the mountain alone to talk to God. And even when Moses came back down, the Bible tells us that his face was sort of glowing from talking to God face to face. And the people were even scared to look at Moses. Even though that glory on his face was just a passing and pale reflection of the real thing. So this giving of the law on Mount Horeb that Paul references, it's kind of an important thing. But thankfully, it is not the only thing that ever happened on Mount Horeb. And just in case the people who gather in this room are ever tempted to forget some of the other things that happened on Mount Horeb, all they need to do is look around. And when they look around, they will see things that sort of make this space a little bit like our village. They make it unique. They make it one of a kind. The window all the way to your left. The wall directly in the center. And the window to your right directly behind me. All three of these spaces in our building reference biblical events that happened on Mount Horeb. You're going to be hearing about them in today's service. These events were a little bit different. These were not opportunities for the revelation of God's law. Instead, they were opportunities for the manifestation of God's gospel. His good news. That other message that we find from him in the Bible, in fact, the message for which our church was named. The message of good news that even though a holy God expects to have holy people, he is still loving and willing to forgive them even though they are anything but. The message that as he does so, it doesn't make him any less holy than he was before. God's perfect expectations for us have been met, not by us, of course, but by Christ in our place. And the punishment that all of our sins rightly deserve, that punishment has been paid, not by us, of course, but by Christ himself. This is the what of the good news, we might say. This is its message. This is its content. But what makes the three events depicted in these three areas of our building so interesting is not so much that they tell us all about the what of the good news. Instead, they demonstrate what might be called the how of the good news. When God delivers that good news to his people, what exactly does that look like? That's an important question to ask because the glory of the good news is even greater than the glory of the law. The law could only bring condemnation, but the good news brings righteousness. The law could only bring death, but the gospel delivers life. The lesser glory of the law fades away, Paul says, but the greater glory of the gospel lasts. And so if people are scared to death when God appears among them to deliver his law, what is their reaction going to be when he delivers his gospel? Pay close attention as you hear about these three events. Don't miss the thread that connects all three of them. Rather than fire and smoke and lightning and thunder and blaring trumpets, in each of these three cases, God sort of dims the lights. He turns down the volume. The glory is greater, 
But it looks smaller. Instead of him making that glory obvious, he actually hides it. And so as a result, when a very holy God appears among very unholy people, those people can be drawn to him in faith rather than driven away from him in fear. And that's what makes what happened on Mount Horeb still so important in Mount Horeb. It's because those events answer a very important question, one that is still very important to us. In fact, you could argue this is the most important question there is. Where is God now? Where is God when things seem out of control and nothing is turning out the way that you intended? Where is God now when the things that you have done cause you so much shame that you can't even look at yourself in the mirror, much less face anyone else that would possibly know about that? Where is God when death pays you a visit again and your tears and your grief seem to be the only companions you have left? Where is God then? Where can you go to meet with him? And not in this vague and abstract sense that God is everywhere around us all the time, but in very tangible and concrete ways, in ways that you can feel as though you are really laying hold of him, confident that he is close to you and you are close to him. Well, in case anyone who would ever gather in this space would be tempted not to know the answer to that most important question. All they would need to do is look around. And when they do, they will see other things that are by no means unique to this space, but are of the utmost importance. In fact, I think you would agree that their prominence and their centrality in this space makes their importance crystal clear. That font that altar, this anvil. This is how God still does exactly what he did on Mount Horeb. This is how God still dims the lights and turns the volume down. This is how God makes it possible for very unholy people, not just to go into the presence of their holy God, but to stay there, to linger there, to loiter there for as long as they would possibly want. This is what makes it possible for us to stare face to face, to stand toe to toe with our holy God and not be afraid. There is no need for fear here. As Paul says, we can be bold. We can be bold to stand face to face with our God and not be afraid. We can be bold to share the good news about our God and know that other people are not going to be afraid. We can be confident that any time we are in the presence of our God in these ways, He is among us and He is going to work in us to transform us into His own likeness. Out of all the many things for which I am immensely grateful about this space, I am thankful that those important lessons are taught anytime someone just looks around. 
Because believe it or not, churches and pastors can be slow to catch on. They can be quick to forget. They can foolishly get distracted. They can obstinately be very hard-headed. They can become convinced that something is their work other than what it actually is. They can become fooled into thinking that something else is the basis for their success other than what it actually is. And God willing, the members of Good News Lutheran Church and its pastor will be spared from those things, if for no other reason than that they are gathering in this space and looking around. Seeing very much, yes, the what of the gospel, but maybe just as important, the how of the gospel. The way in which our holy God appears among us to give us his love and forgive us our sins. That was good news on Mount Horeb. That is still good news in Mount Horeb. Amen. Amen.